0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning we're going to talk about the peace of Christ. Uh, He says in John chapter 14 verse 27, as he was preparing to depart and preparing his disciples for his crucifixion and his departure, he tells his disciples, Peace I leave with you my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, I give to you. So he's imparting upon him his peace and saying, I'm going to leave peace with you. And we think about this verse sometimes, and I, and I know I've seen this verse used a lot, um, and, and maybe another one that, we've, that we see a lot is John sixteen thirty three. These things have I spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. We see these verses a lot used when we're, when we're Uh, trying to motivate ourselves to have peace and and to uh, get through some kind of situation that we may be going through. But what is peace? And what is Jesus talking about here? Because sometimes I think we look at these verses and we think of peace as, you know, we're sitting in this picturesque landscape, there's no noise, it's serene, it's quiet, there's no distractions happening around us, and we just feel so great. And that's kind of the idea that you see online, you know, you you scroll through social media, there's no shortage of motivational pictures and quotes and things trying to instill this sense of tranquility in you. It's quiet, it's serene. And and we might also imagine peace in another way as, uh, you know, often people want world peace and uh, they imagine peace as everybody in the world is getting along. It's perfect harmony, there's no more fighting, there's no more wars, nobody being mean to each other, everybody's just nice, and, and it's all just calm, and it's, and it's all happy. And, and those ideas are nice enough, uh, but is that the kind of peace that Christ is talking about here, and is that the kind of peace He wants us to have? I think it seems like Jesus has a different concept of peace in mind from what the world offers. You notice the distinction He makes between the peace He leaves with His disciples and the peace that the world gives there is a difference. One is lasting, and one is eternal, and one is not. The, the peace that the world gives is not peace. It's counterfeit, or it's, it's at least temporary. John uh, 16, verse 33, he, again, he says he leaves peace, and he wants us to have peace, and he contrasts that to the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will not have peace in the world, but you'll have trouble. You'll have uh, difficulties. You'll have persecution, so what does the word peace mean? If you look at the Strong's definition, it, it means uh, either prosperity, it means to be at one, it means to have uh, quietness and rest. So those can be results of peace for sure, quietness and rest. But importantly, I think Jesus is talking about being set at one again, when he's talking about the peace that he brings to us in our lives. So there's a completeness that we get because of Christ that he brings us. There's a oneness, there's a being reconciled in a harmony that and a unity that He uh, brings to our lives, and if you look at it, truly, it's not an emotion. Peace is not a feeling that we have, but it's a result of action. It's a result of something, and it does evoke certain feelings. It does give us tranquility. It does give us a sense of calmness and rest, but truly, peace is not an emotion. It's it's the result of hard-earned and hard-fought action and sacrifice so what is the kind of peace that jesus gives that was hard-earned well of course it's reconciliation with god he brings us at one again with god that's what it means to have peace with god not just you feel good about your relationship and you think god is happy with you but it's knowing and understanding that you are one with the father once again this is what jesus has won for us and this is the progression romans chapter 5 verse 12 describes The time where mankind sinned and sin came across the whole world. Wherefore is by one man, Sin sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So this was the result of the fall of man in the garden. There was harmony between man and God that was broken. And that harmony was broken because of their disobedience. And because of the disobedience, not only did they break the harmony between man and God, they broke the design that God had created of humans that were supposed to live forever, and now there's death that takes place. So there's separation physically and spiritually that takes place. So this harmony was ruined, and man became corrupt uh, in sin, they became dead in sin, and we now have physical death imposed upon us, and we have this mindset of sin. Romans chapter eight, seven through eight, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, there's conflict right? There's enmity. We are at odds with God because of a carnal mindset. Why? Because the carnal mindset is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we stay in this corrupt mindset and keep this attitude of, of sin, we will remain separated from God, and it's impossible for us to be set at one again and have peace with God. But God is described in Romans 15:33 as the God of peace. He is a God that wants us to be reconciled. He is a God that wants us to be brought together with him. And because he is the God of peace, God sent Jesus to reconcile us and to bring us at one again, bringing us peace with him and restoring the harmony. 2 Corinthians 5:18 through 19, Paul described it this way, "All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ." And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you see this uh, very powerful thing that Paul is saying here. God is the God of peace, and because He is the God of peace, He wants us to be set at one, and because He wants that, He instituted this rescue plan in Jesus to bring us back to Himself. So it's in Christ that we are made at one with God once again. And not only does he, he give us that opportunity to be one in Christ, he gives us now a responsibility to go out into the world and to spread this message so that more people can be reconciled to him. But it's Jesus that brings this peace between God and man in himself and through his own sacrifice. And this is a restoration to God. Colossians 2, verse 10 through 13 says, you are complete in him. Now, when I hear that, and I've, and I've thought about this a lot, you think about our lives prior to being in Christ, our lives are broken, our lives are incomplete, we are unclean, we are sinful, we are separate from God. But when we're in Christ, He completes us. He fills in those parts of us that are missing, He fills what is lacking, and He makes us whole again. And that oneness, that wholeness that He brings is peace. And the reason that we get that completeness is because he makes us one with the father again. And God dwells in us and we dwell in God and and there's harmony restored. And he's the head of all principality, it says, in power, in whom, in Christ, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he's describing a cleansing, a removal of sin. Okay. How does this happen? Well, he says it happens when we're buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who, raised, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together. He's made you alive together, having forgiven you all trespasses. So this is what happens when we're baptized into Christ. He, he brings us this peace between us and God because He brings us to, to the Father. He makes us clean, cleanses our conscience, He gives us access to God, He restores the fellowship between us and God, and He makes us one with the Father. And that happens through this cleansing process that takes place when we submit ourselves to faith, in faith, to the the commandment of baptism, uh, taking that action so that God will cleanse us of our sins. And people want to reduce that to a, a work and say there's nothing we can do, but it's simply not true that we have instructions of what to do so that we can place our trust in what God is doing. And that is, he's the one removing our sin, not that we're capable of doing that ourselves. And if we do this, it says we are justified by that faith, that kind of faith that takes action. You hear what God wants you to do and you do it. That's faith. That's biblical faith. Romans 5 verse 1 says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only way this is the only way we can have oneness with God and be brought back into restoration with Him if we have biblical faith that is hearing and doing the, the, what God has commanded so that we can be brought together with Him. And it only happens in Christ. And there's only one way to get in Christ, and that's what Paul described in Colossians. Buried with Him in baptism. And then you're risen with Him because that's the point where you're made one with, with Christ. Um, And this is exactly what Jesus came into the world to accomplish. This kind of peace is what He was talking to His disciples. Because He was talking to them about He's about to be resurrected. He's about to leave to the Father. He says, you're going to be sad, but I'm going to come back again. And He's talking about His death. He would leave, but I'm going to come back again. He's talking about His resurrection. So in in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, He's preparing His disciples and saying all these many uh, beautiful and wonderful words and instructions to them for them to have confidence, to, for them to have a sense of peace and security, knowing that his death is not the end. It's merely the beginning of, of this amazing uh, life that, that Christ came to, to grant us. And this is exactly what he came in the world to accomplish. Uh, if you look at First uh, John 3, verse 5 and verse 8, it says, and you know that he, Christ, was made manifest to take away our sins. The whole purpose of Jesus was to come and take away sins so that then we could be restored and be made one with God, having peace. And in Him is no sin. He that commits sin is of the devil, verse 8 says, for the devil sins from the beginning, and for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. You see, Satan brought disobedience to this world. I mean, he, he chose to be disobedient to God in heaven, And He chose to bring disobedience and influence mankind to disobey, therefore bringing sin, therefore bringing death. There's a chain reaction that takes place. Jesus was manifested for this reason. This is the reason that Christ came into the world, to destroy the works of the devil, and that is acts of disobedience to God. Because there's no sin in Christ, and and in this way He takes away our sins and restores harmony between a holy God and when He cleanses us, and we're in Him, and He removes sin, He makes us holy, and we can be at one with the Father once again. This is the peace, this is the harmony that Christ came to bring between man and God. Now, we think about this, and it might be confusing, because you might be recalling other verses uh, that, that talk about Jesus' words about peace. So, we see this whole This whole series of events of Jesus bringing peace to us, yet he says in Luke 12, 51, you might be thinking about this verse, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. It can be kind of confusing. Did Jesus come to bring peace or not? The Bible clearly shows that he is coming to bring peace, but now he says he's not coming to bring peace on earth. In another verse, a parallel verse in Matthew, he says, think not that I am come to bring peace a sword. So is Jesus here to bring peace or not? Well, I think the proper way to look at this is to understand what he's saying. I did not come to, to bring peace on earth. He did not come to bring harmony between corruption and holiness. He didn't come to make the world okay and just put a stamp of approval on everything that's happening and saying, you know what, everyone's fine, and all sin is excused now, and we can all hold hands and and... Sing kumbaya and we can get along and just go on and be happy and ignore sin and ignore unrighteousness. That's not what he came to do. He came to bring a sword, the sword of his word. And that sword causes division. Because when you choose to take up the banner of Christ, when you choose to follow his commandments in humility and meekness and love and kindness, when you choose to do that, those that are in darkness will be repulsed by that. I mean, the world was like a dark room. And what happens when, I mean, you all probably experience this, you're peacefully sleeping and then the lights flip on. You just, you close your eyes, you shut your eyes, you put the covers on, you get mad. Jesus was that kind of light that came into this world and suddenly there was a bright shining light. And some will be attracted to that and and choose to, to come to that light and be part of that light and shine that light. And others who are deep in darkness are going to be repulsed by that and close their eyes against that. And it will cause division when we choose to follow Christ. So there's not a... He comes to bring peace between those who want to have peace with God, but He's not coming to just simply make peace with all the world and everything is okay now and everything's fine and there's no such thing as sin anymore and He just pays for everything and we can all do whatever we want. That's not the picture of peace that Christ is talking about because that's not real peace. Uh, and think about these other things. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, what fellowship does light have with darkness? There's no fellowship between light and darkness, and that's not the kind of peace that Jesus was trying to bring, a fellowship between light and dark. And, and I think it's important to say that out loud, because I've seen this more and more popping up in media and in stories where people are taught it, there's a good part of us and an evil part of us, and we just have to balance those and that's, that's just who we are, then that's not true. God doesn't want us to have evil in us and darkness in us. He wants us to be filled with light. And there's no peace and harmony between these two. There's no yin and yang. That's a false idea. Christ wants us to be filled with light and not have darkness within us. And that's how we can live in peace with God. <clears throat> so, because we've been reconciled with God, we do get a sense of of security. We do get a sense of safety, that's peace. We get a feeling of peace or the result of peace is that feeling of of safety. But how do we maintain that peace that we've been given? Because living a Christian life is tough. Sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes uh, we may not be going on the right path and we can feel when we're not at one with God. We know in ourselves and in our hearts when we're not quite aligned properly and we're not living in harmony with God's will. So what do we do? How do we maintain this peace with God? Well, I think there's a couple things to understand. First is that peace, the Bible says, is peace is something that is made. It's not something that you just stumble into. It's not something that you're going to fall into. It's not something that's just going to happen. You have to be intentional. You have to work hard. You have to be focused. And, and be purposeful about these things, because peace is something that is produced. Romans chapter 2, verse 10 says that glory and honor and peace will come to who? To every man that worketh good. So peace will come, along with glory and honor, to those who choose to carry out the actions that are appropriately aligned with the Word of God. That's what will happen. So it's something that is produced. Think about what Paul said about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is what? It's product. It's a produce It's something that is produced, right? From, you think about a tree that puts off fruit. That fruit is the product of that that the tree is making. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. There's other things attributed here as the fruit of the Spirit, but notice peace is one of those things. Peace is something that is produced, it's something that is made. And how is it made? Well, there's another idea. Peter talks about this in, in 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, peace can be multiplied and produced and grown through knowledge. Knowledge is the starting point of how we can get peace and have peace. And that knowledge is, of course, the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. So, how do we maintain peace with God? We grow in knowledge of His Word. And as we grow in knowledge of his word, we know it's not just good enough to know what the scriptures say. We actually have to obey his commandments. So if you go back to John 14, when Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, I give unto you. Notice what else he tells his disciples. In verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him. And and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. You see this? Do you see the, the connections that, that Jesus is making here? Peace I leave with you. He says, hear my words and do those commandments. Keep my words. And then my Father will love him. Whoever does this, my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. God will come to dwell. And Christ will come to dwell in us if we are continually seeking to hear and keep his commandments. That's how peace is multiplied. And that's how peace is produced. And made in our lives, if we, if we seek, as Romans says, uh, to every man that works good, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Hear and keep my commandments, and that's what will produce is peace with God. Uh, and this is a type of peace that is beyond our comprehension. Uh, really, we may we may be able to hear and understand and grow in knowledge and do these commandments, but we really will have a sense of peace that passes understanding. Paul makes this clear in Philippians 4, uh, beginning in verse 7. He says, The peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And what's the result? What's produced? And the God of peace shall be with you. So, if we want to maintain this peace and this harmony with God that Jesus has, has earned through His death on the cross, He went through tremendous sacrifice in order to win us this kind of peace, and if we're part of His sacrifice, being baptized into Christ, it's our job, it's our duty, it's our, it's our, it should be our goal to maintain this harmony with God. And we do that by thinking on what is good, learning and growing in knowledge, doing those commandments that we've been taught and that we find in the Scriptures, and the God of peace will be with you. And the inverse is true as well. If we don't love Christ and don't keep His commandments, then God will not make His abode with us. If we don't do the things that we, have, what we ought to do, the God of peace will not be with us. We'll have, we'll have conflict, and we won't be in harmony with God. <clears throat> so we want to be the kind of people who have peace with God and live as people that are making peace, because God is the God of peace, and He wants His children to be like Him. Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And if the Father, as the Father is, so are the children. That's what He wants from us. He's the kind of God who took action. He was intentional. He was purposeful with bringing peace and reconciliation between us and Him. And He wants us to be that exact way, seeking to maintain that peace and making peace. Now, it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. It'd be maybe a lot simpler if it did. But it doesn't just stop there, because the peace we need to have and maintain is not just with God, but it's with one another as family in Christ. Because if we need to be like God, then we need to be the kind of people who seek this kind of lifestyle where we are making peace, where people who want to reconcile, people who want to set things at one again, we want there to be harmony. And we're, in fact, we're commanded to keep peace between those who are redeemed, That's how we can be peacemakers. Now, it's our responsibility because of what Christ did for us. Colossians chapter 3, 10 through 15. And have put on the new man. This is talking, remember, Colossians 2 just talked about how we are renewed in Christ. When we're baptized in Christ, we're cleansed of our sin. We're made one with Christ. We're made alive with Him. And he goes on into chapter 3 talking about this seeing that we have put on this new man that is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. This is important to note why Paul is saying this. You have been cleansed and been made new. You have been renewed in Jesus. And then he goes on to list these things that I think the folks at Colossae were dealing with. And he's trying to remind them what they became is a Christian. And you are in Christ now. And now there's no more these labels that cause division. Because the Greeks and the Jews were pretty much polar opposites. One was devoted, this monotheistic religion that was devoted to God and keeping his commandments and one that was this pantheist religion that had all kinds of gods, all kinds of deities that they worshipped and they did whatever they wanted, indulged in their, their fleshly desires as worship. Totally different. And they were divided. And they would, one was the circumcision, the Jews, and the other was the, circumcision, the uncircumcision, that's the Gentiles. So there was this division. Barbarian, Scythian, bond, free... All these ways that people identify themselves in order to to create these groups and these divisions. Jesus says, do away with all that. Because that's going to cause, that's not going to cause harmony. That's going to cause us to be at odds. And he wants us to have harmony. So he's saying, put all these things away. These things don't mean anything anymore. The same is true for us. Whatever label we have in our mind, conservative, liberal, American, whatever, forget all that. Throw that out the window. Because Christ is all we need and all we are, and He's in all. Because He's cleansed us, we should cast this out so that we can have peace and harmony with our family, who are also in the same position that we are of having to cast these things out. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Put on what? Vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, also, uh, so also do you. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. He's saying, we've all been made family in Christ, and we have a responsibility to put on this new mindset, put on these qualities in our lives, and the result is what? If we put on these qualities, we should forbear with one another. That means you put up with each other. And you help each other. You forgive one another. If you have a quarrel against anyone, forgive it, especially the household of faith. Even as Christ forgave, that's what we should also do. Be peacemakers like Christ, the model, the Father, Uh, this model that He's shown us. Be like that and put on charity. What's the result of putting on charity above all these things? Letting letting the peace of God. That means we have a choice in the matter whether we're going to let the peace of God rule in our hearts or not. So you let the peace of God rule in your heart because we've been called in one body as a family in Christ. And we need to put away these things that divide us. It's our responsibility to do this because of what Christ sacrificed for us. So think about it that way. We're sacrificing these titles, these divisions, these labels that we often might put on ourselves, these ways we identify ourselves that cause divisions and separations. We're sacrificing those things in order to have unity. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He sacrificed in order for us to be at one with God. The Bible says we ought to have this mindset of maintaining peace with brethren, and, and it ought to be something we care deeply about and are diligent about. Ephesians 4, 2-3 says, "...with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace." You know what that word endeavoring means? It means you're trying hard. It's not just that, well, you know, I, I tried to be nice. No. It means you put in effort, endeavor, you strive, you're diligent about doing this. You are putting in all the effort you can put in and that you can muster in order to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with the family of Christ. <clears throat> and sometimes there's problems, and there's been a lot of problems that have divided the church, there's Been a lot of problems that have caused destruction, that have caused heartache, and have caused pain. And, and to this day, there are groups and congregations that will not interact with each other and will not speak with each other and will not work with each other because of these, these divisions, because of pride, because of, uh, because of many things. Uh, now, there are times that we should divide if it comes to a true matter of doctrine and things that are going to cause us to stray from the, the truth of the Scriptures. Paul said so. Look at Romans chapter 16. And, and there's many other verses that teach us to be wary of false doctrines. But sometimes the things that divide in the church are not are, are matters of opinion. Um, and, and it's terrible. Because people aren't endeavoring to keep this kind of unity in the, in the bond of peace. We let pride make us hold on to something, and we are unwilling to give that up and have lowliness and have meekness and, and put away our pride, sacrificing that in order to achieve unity. And that, that happens, and it's, it's sad. Um, the Bible instructs us, if we are going to be peacemakers, that we need to try. We need to put in effort, whether it's our fault or not. Jesus said this in Matthew five, twenty three. Therefore, if, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, that means you're offering worship to God, you're making the sacrifice to God, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Your brother or a sister in Christ, a family in Christ has something against you. You've done something to them. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. When we're not at one with one another, we can't be at one with God. And that's why we need to put in great effort when it's our fault to go and make peace, to go and reconcile. Now, even when it's not your fault, the onus is on you and the responsibility is on me to go and do what we need to do to make peace. Romans, uh, Matthew 18, Jesus said this in verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's the kind of attitude and mentality we ought to have, the striving, the endeavoring we ought to put in. Whether we've done something to someone, we're trying to fix it. Or Whether somebody's done something to us, we're the one who are taking the action and going and, and making sure that it's fixed if we can. Now there's more to this chapter, and these, the following verses give kind of a process to follow because sometimes the people you go and reconcile with don't want to be reconciled, and that's on them. The point is you put in the effort as much as you can to go and make peace. Um, Because peace will be destroyed through bitterness and through envy. It, It really will. But these models that Jesus gives us of whether it's our fault or not, it follows exactly what He did. I mean, it wasn't His fault that sin happened into the world, yet He's the one who took action and went to make peace. So it is very much being like Christ to take on the mindset of, of reconciliation and bringing reconciliation whether it's our fault or not. Uh, but again, we can destroy peace through having bitterness and envy because sometimes we want to go on and try to just kind of fake our, our uh, unity and we want to bring peace like the world gives. We just want to kind of smooth it over. We just want to not talk about it anymore. We want to hide the truth. We don't want to be, uh, you know, confront what needs to be confronted. And that really is a counterfeit piece. And all that's going to produce is more division, more bitterness. You're going to fester and you're going to hold these grudges and it's going to cause destruction ultimately. James 3, and we can know that by the fruits. James 3, verse 15 through 18 says, This wisdom, this kind of wisdom and thinking does not come from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic, it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When we're really striving to have, to, to have peace in the truth and, and from an honest and genuine heart, It's going to produce more peace. But we're not honest and we're not genuine about this. That's earthly wisdom. That's sensual and devilish. And it's going to produce envying and strife. There's confusion in every evil work. And sin begets sin, and it's going to grow more sin. And it might look fine for a little while. It might look like things are peaceful on the surface. But deep down within, there's a bunch of festering rotten fruit. And it's going to explode at some point. And it's going to cause and come out... And it'll, it'll cause all kinds of fallout between brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is true in any situation where you're not being truthful and confronting things properly and just letting things fester. It's going to build up and build up and cause tension and cause division and cause separation. It will tend to do that for sure. But the wisdom that God brings us, it's gonna bring harmony. It's gonna bring unity. It's gonna bring reconciliation. And it has to be sown in peace and not in bitterness. So we have to do this from a genuine heart. Now again, that means making sacrifices the way Jesus did and giving things up. And that means digging deep to give up things that we might be hanging on to. Uh, Because peace is not something that just happens on accident. It's the result of sacrifice. And it is hard fought and hard earned. And if we want peace, we have to surrender our will with that purpose, bringing harmony and the truth. I'm going to give you an example uh, that the scriptures talk about, not just here in Romans 14. Paul talks about this again in Corinthians. There was a problem between the Greeks and the Jews. Remember these two groups that were were very different, now called to be one family and put aside their differences and come together as one family and, and agree on the truth. But there was a problem with people's conscience on what kinds of meat you could eat or not. Now think about it. The Jews, having come from 1,500 years of, of being attached to the law and being raised up in this law, obviously are going to have problems of the conscience when it comes to eating meats that were forbidden under the law. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they didn't care. They ate whatever. Now these two sides are being called to live in unity and live in harmony. So how do you do that with, with just even thinking about just the subject of meat and what you're going to eat? Well, Paul talks about this in Romans 14. Beginning in verse 14, he says, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a, a Jew, a man who is a Jew talking. He says, I know and, and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus Christ that there is nothing unclean of itself. Food is just food. That's what he's saying. There's no meat that's actually unclean clean or unholy of itself. It's, it's just food. But to him that esteems anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. So he says, whoever decides and esteems in their mind, you have a problem of the conscience that this meat or kind of food is unclean. To that person, it is unclean. So we ought to respect that. That's what Paul is saying. We ought to respect that. Just leave them alone. If they don't want to eat it. Don't, don't eat it. But if your brother is grieved with your meat, the kind of meat that you're eating, that they feel is, is, is not something that is clean, if they be grieved, now you're not walking in love. If someone, a brother or sister, knows that these Gentiles are eating this meat and it is bothering them, it is bothering their conscience, and perhaps these Gentiles were not walking in, in love and lowliness and they were putting, throwing it in their face, or trying to get them, like, hey, oh, come on, there's no unclean meats anymore, just eat it. Stop being so weak-minded, just eat it, and be free from that law. But in their conscience, they can't. So he says, if you're doing that, now you're not walking charitably. I imagine that's maybe what was happening. And he commends the Gentiles here that he's writing to, the Jew and Gentile, but he's commending these people who allow this certain thing and eat certain kinds of meat. So the, the people who consider it unclean may not. He says, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Don't kill your brother or sister in Christ that Christ died for because you want to eat certain kinds of meat. Do not let your good be evil spoken of. Why? The kingdom of Christ or of God, is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's not meat and drink. It's not what you've eaten, whether it's it's considered holy or unholy, but it's righteousness, it's peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Because I imagine also these Jews were probably railing against these Gentiles who were eating me. So there's problems that come all kinds of divisions and all kinds of strife and all kinds of envying and bitterness that's going to take place when you have these two kinds of groups. And Paul says, "Put that away." Put that away because the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And if you do these things and serve God in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, that's acceptable to God and approved of men. You're going to have peace with God and peace with man if you pursue these things diligently and endeavor to keep the peace. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith we may edify one another. Let's look for ways to build each other up and not tear each other down. So this was a major issue in the New Testament between the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul talks about it here. And there's other verses and it's worth examining even further uh, for more understanding of, of limits of our conscience and allowing our brothers and sisters liberty to make those decisions for themselves and not forcing upon them our own opinion because that that is when divisions will happen when we force upon them opinions rather than looking to the scriptures and seeing what it has to say peter said first peter 3 verse 8 finally be all of one mind everybody be on the same page let's all have the same mindset having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil. If, something does somebody, if somebody does something wrong against you, not rendering evil to them again. Oh, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to make them have a taste of their own medicine. I'm not going to have... No. Not rendering evil for evil. Not railing for railing. That means bad-mouthing. If somebody bad-mouths you, don't go around bad-mouthing somebody else. Just be quiet. Don't return evil for evil but instead blessings. If Somebody gives you evil, return to them blessings, knowing that you are called to this mindset and this attitude and this kind of life. Why? So that you will inherit a blessing. That tells us if we don't do these things, we will not inherit a blessing. For he that will love life, if you love life, if you love the word of God and you love Christ, if you love life and you want to see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. It means you turn away from it and do, instead, do what is good. And let him seek peace and ensue it. Look for it. Diligently endeavor peace. And hold your tongue. The tongue is a little, little part of our body, but it causes a great deal of fire. Uh, James talked about that in James chapter 1. It causes a whole lot of division and a whole lot of trouble when we can't keep our mouth closed and we can't put our pride aside and we can't sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed, because that's what God is asking us to do. Give up that thing that you like. Give up that thing that's in your heart and in your mind and your opinion. Put it away and kill it and sacrifice it so that your brother and sister can live, so that you can have peace and harmony, so that you can be together and not divided in Christ. Both doing this, if everyone does this and has this mindset and pursues the truth, that's going to be way different and way better than we could ever imagine. And we must do this if we expect the God of peace to be with us. Not only do we have to maintain that peace with God, but we maintain it with each other. Uh, 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brethren, farewell, Paul writes in, in his closing to the Corinthians here. What does he commend them to do? Be perfect... Be of good comfort and be of one mind. Live in peace. And what's the result? What's the fruit? What's the product? Then the God of love and peace will be with you. So if we expect God to be with us, we need to be the kind of people that are with Him. And that means humbling ourselves to obey His commandments in being at peace with Him and being at peace with the brethren. The family of Christ, for whom Christ gave up His own self. Do we, if, if I mean, it's worthy to think about that, do we care so little about the Jesus, about the people that Jesus died for, that we're not willing to sacrifice for them the way Jesus sacrificed for them? Because we all ought to be willing, and the scriptures give plenty of admonition, we ought to be willing to even give up our own lives for one another. And if we can't, love one another, our brethren, who we have seen, how can we love God whom we have not seen with our own eyes? That's the admonition that we have in First John. The answer is we can't. If we can't get along, not just get along, if we can't really strive for unity with each other here, how can we expect to have that kind of relationship with God? We can't. Because peace with one another is going to affect our peace with God and the worship that we bring to Him, and it's going to make it unclean mark 9 well we read that and jesus said go and reconcile with your brother first and then come and offer your gift mark 9 verse 49 through 50 says everyone shall be salted with fire this is a phrase that means everyone's going to be purified and be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt that's a reference to the practice of offering sacrifices in leviticus when they offered certain types of sacrifices they would season it with meat or with salt rather they would season it with salt he says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost his saltiness, wherewith shall you season it? If the salt has lost its flavor and its, its usefulness, he says in another passage, it's not good for anything but to be cast out, trampled underfoot of men, and thrown out. He says then, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. That's how we can have salt within ourselves and make sure that our sacrifices to God are remaining salted with with peace, with love, with kindness, with meekness, with producing the fruits of the Spirit, so that our worship to God is not hindered and not corrupted. We have to have peace with one another. Truly, genuine peace. Not counterfeit peace like the world gives, but true peace like Christ gives. Now again, it'd be easy if it stops there, but a couple more verses show us we have to have peace with all men. It's our responsibility and our duty to be peacemakers. And so making peace is not just reserved to God and to our family in Christ. It's reserved and it's our duty to do it with everyone. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Sometimes we get an idea in our mind that, okay, I can be nice to the people at church, then I can go online and I can cuss out anybody I want. I can go out to the grocery store and be rude to whoever I want because they're not—they're not my family in Christ. Who cares about that? they are are our enemies, right? If you get that mindset, that's not—that is contrary to the scriptures. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, "Follow peace with all men." He didn't lay out an exception here. Follow peace with all men in holiness, and because without this, you will not see the Lord. So it's pretty serious. Now, not everyone wants to have peace with us. And that's not, that's not to say that we sacrifice truth. That's not, to say that we, um, that's not to say that we go and seek peace at all costs and give anything up and sacrifice anything. But as much as is within us and is within our ability and our power to do, we ought to be the kind of people who are producing peace. Romans twelve eighteen, If it be possible, as much as lies inside of you and within you, Live peaceably with all men. Try as much as you can. And, and there are limits and there are points to say there's nothing else I could, we can do. But at the end of the day, if people are not going to be peaceable with us, let it be on them and not because of our attitude. Let it not be said that it was the people of God that caused them to be unpeaceable. It was their own heart and their own choice. You live peaceable with all men as much as you can. And if they won't, You just, you do everything you can to make sure that there is peace. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Sometimes when people aren't peaceable with us, we want to get revenge. But he says, don't avenge yourselves. That's a sacrifice we have to make. He says, rather give place to wrath. And that that means get out of the way and make room for God's wrath. Let him be the one that takes care of this. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hunger, what's the action you should take? Laugh at him and say, ha, and relish the fact that he's hungry? No, feed him. That's the action we should take. If he thirsts, give him drink. That's how far we go to make peace and to keep peace. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. If we decide to take matters into our own hands and avenge ourselves and to not take on the mindset that God has told us to have, we are producing the peace of the world. And he says we'll be overcome with evil. Don't be overcome with evil, but instead overcome evil with, by doing what is good and produce peace and produce righteousness as much as lies within you. So we have a responsibility to have peace with God, to have peace with man, and to have peace with all men as much as we possibly can. And this is a model that God has given us because Christ took the first steps and took the action and took the responsibility on Himself to reconcile us and to cleanse us from sin and to make us one with God again. So, if you have been reconciled by Jesus, and, and, then we have been made the children of God. And if God is our Father, we need to be like Him in holiness and in producing peace among our brethren and among all people. We have to do this if we expect to have eternal life, because this is how God wants us to be found. First Peter, or 2 Peter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Let Christ find us as people who are producing peace and not people who are producing divisions and destruction among ourselves and in this world. This is the unity that Christ has won for us and that he wants us to maintain and wants us to strive and sacrifice in order to maintain. If you're here this morning and and you have a sense of conviction, because there's a lack of peace in your life, maybe there's some conflict that you uh, have not sought to resolve just yet, and you need prayers for humility, for meekness. You need prayers uh, to help to help you make the sacrifice you need to make to be the kind of person that goes and seeks peace and takes action. We want to pray with you. It's important to be this kind of person if we want to be followers of Christ and His disciples. If you're here this morning and perhaps you want the peace that Christ offers by being baptized into Christ and being reconciled with Him, having your sins washed away, having your sins cleansed, and you want to be at one with God and have confidence in that, knowing that you're doing what God Himself has commanded, we want to help you in that pursuit as well. So if there's anybody that needs prayers, and anything that we can do to help and be of assistance to you as a family of Christ, we ask that you come forward as we stand and sing the song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.